Welcome everyone to the Learn Fresh podcast. My name is Nick Monzi, CEO and co-founder of Learn Fresh, and I'm joined by Calvin Seibert, our chief academic officer, my co-host, and affectionately and appropriately nicknamed the game changer of education. Changing the game. On today's episode, we're discussing gender equity in education, and we're joined by a friend of Learn Fresh, Delphi Cleveland. Delphi currently serves as a political appointee in the Biden-Harris administration, working as special assistant to the Ambassador-at-Large on Global Women's Issues, a position housed at the State Department in the Office of Global Women's Issues. In this role, she coordinates with the newly established Gender Policy Council at the White House, working to elevate the needs of women and girls in all policy priorities. In the past, Delphi has worked with the Council on Foreign Relations, in the Women in Foreign Policy program, and she has cross-sectoral experience working for the German Parliament, BMW Group, Eleanor Roosevelt Center, and UN Women, the United Nations entity focused on gender equality. We caught up with her back in December of 2020 when she was living in Berlin, Germany, to talk about gender-related challenges in education. Please note that all statements made during this interview were made in a personal capacity and do not reflect the views of the U.S. government. Today on the Learn Fresh podcast. Delphi, super, super excited to have you here today. How are you doing? Hey, Nick. Doing really well. Really happy to be here. Let's dig into this issue a little bit by starting at a broad scale. So the idea of gender equity as a as a worthy pursuit in education is a multifaceted issue. It's rooted in education policy and innovation here in the United States, as well as at the global scale. So could you just talk about and frame the kind of the pre-pandemic context for gender equity issues in education? What does that look like? What are the major issues? Um, What are the things that we're working to solve for? Sure. Absolutely happy to speak to that. So, Pre-pandemic, I think it's important that everyone knows that there were 98 million adolescent girls worldwide not in school before any sort of global catastrophe hit. Um, And if you think about that, 98 million girls is quite a large number. I will caveat that by saying that education is something like socioeconomic status, which varies dramatically depending on the level of development of any country. So you think of developed countries like the United States, like countries in Europe, um, parts of the Middle East, where the educational attainment is very high because the governments and the countries have the capacity and the resources to educate the majority of their population. Um, But as you kind of go towards the developing country sides of the world, you see far more women and girls stuck at home doing care work, and there's kind of that, that, that relationship between socioeconomic status on a country level and the average education that girls specifically receive, though, you know, girls and boys equally are casualties when countries can't afford to um, fund their education. So pre-pandemic, we were already at a pretty disparate base. Um, countries like the United States have been working to mitigate particularly girls lacking education because they've begun to see it as a strategic imperative to other developmental goals. And I'm happy to speak to that in more detail later. Um, but I think it's worth, worth noting that even before we were witnessing a global health pandemic, um, I would argue that there was an educational pandemic as well. Yeah, that's a great take on that. 
So can you dig a little bit deeper into the differences between the issue in an American context and a global context? Obviously, there are gender equity challenges that we face here in this country, um, but they are quite different than challenges in other parts of the world. Just parse that out for us a little bit. And what are, what are the differences in those challenges based upon location? Yeah, I think that's a really important thing to understand when you're talking about education on a global scale. I think um, in the United States, we come from a very privileged perspective on this issue. So we think of, you know, even public schools that don't have a lot of funding have the ability to bring students into the classroom. And I think that in and of itself is a tremendous benefit to having students sitting there all being together and having this notion of collective education. In other country contexts, um, you can think of a lot of West Africa, a lot of Southern African countries, there are not even school buildings to house the students. So education can happen outdoors, it can happen in small groups, um, and there's a lot of cultural stigma attached to who is allowed to have education because it is such um, a sparse resource. Um, And so just to kind of give a bit of a juxtaposition, we think of getting on the school bus, going to school, being there for eight hours. School in other parts of the world doesn't look like that, um, largely contingent upon how much resource is available to provide education. So thinking about the the gender gap in terms of the economic issue as well, one statistic that you've highlighted for us is that the World Bank has identified that the gender gap in education costs us between 15 and 30 trillion dollars in human capital. So can you, that's a huge number, can you ground that statistic in some sort of tangible reality for us? Like, where does that play out? Are there specific places in the world where that plays out? Is it within specific industries? Just give us a little framework for that statistic. Absolutely. So the majority of that statistic actually hinges on world food production um, and the fact that Food production um, is an industry in which girls and boys who are taken out of the education system tend to be put into um, instead of being able to attain full education. So going to secondary school, um, there are children who range between 10 and 19 years old who are being forced kind of out of, you know, you have 24 hours in a day, they're forced to use the majority of their hours in the day to tend to their family's farms, to tend to their family's small businesses, um, and are doing that all free of charge as a familial obligation. And these are children who should, in my mind, be students, but who are being kind of pushed for economic reasons out of school and into free labor um, for the benefit of their families or their small communities or um, the the plots of land that they live on. Um, And so the 15 trillion to 30 trillion dollars of human capital is both a reflection of um, scarcity in terms of of workers and and formalized labor in certain country contexts, Um, but it's also a reflection of, again, the kind of, as you mentioned before, colonial effects and lingering macro disparities in wealth across the world that leaves some countries labor spare, labor sparse, um, and other countries kind of to take advantage and exploit that differential. Right. 
So basically, when we look at that number, it's telling a story around what would happen if we gave a full thorough education to this global population of, you know, 90 plus million girls who are not in school right now. And then what could they bring back to the economy at a local level as well as an international level? Is that correct? Absolutely. Yep. Okay. Absolutely. So uh, digging in, digging into the education context, uh, what shifts have you observed during COVID? And uh, are these issues American issues or would you say global issues? I think that's a fantastic question. And I have to admit, a lot of my observations, I do not have children myself. A lot of my observations have come from conversations with individuals who either have children or caretakers to children. Um, and I just want to give a large shout out to those populations of people who during this time have been taking and making the effort um, to ensure that their children, whoever they are responsible for, are being given, um, given the time and attention that they need. To your question, I have noticed considerable shifts. I think um, first and foremost, it's worth mentioning that we're witnessing a growing divide between Americans and global citizens who have access to the internet during this time for educational purposes and those who do not. Um, I was speaking with one woman at the dog park, actually, who was mentioning to me that her church was actually becoming responsible for funding the public school access to Wi-Fi um, in a neighboring school district to my own home school district in Poughkeepsie. And this blew my mind to think of um, the fact that in the United States, a very developed, very affluent country, um, a third party was having to step in to fund what I would view as state obligation um, in terms of public education. And she was telling me about how she has two grandchildren who um, share, or I guess before COVID, were sharing one laptop and how that became completely impossible when both children were having to be on the computer at the same time to take their tests and classes and check in with their teachers. And so that's kind of just in the American context. I think it's important to realize that access to technology, access to Wi-Fi, um, and access to good caregiving and responsible caregiving puts you leaps and bounds ahead of students whose parents are forced to work during this time who might not have access to the internet um, and if you kind of just think about the detriment that that might have on even just a half a year of education, um, the kind of gaps that that can create. So that's certainly something I've observed. Of course, another thing which has somewhat less to do with education but more to do with socialization of children is just the difference between being able to interact with people your own age and not being able to interact with people your own age on a daily basis. And I'm particularly curious to see how that plays out. Um, I'm wondering if there will be lingering effects of that on kind of how people socialize later on in life. Um, but I do think that overall in both an American and global context, this kind of broadening polarity of access um, is a really important question to be addressed in education. Now, are there any immediate gender equity concerns in the K-12 context moving forward and any intermediate or long-term effects that are expected due to COVID? Great question. I think gender equity in K-12 
always brings me back to the question of STEM. Um, so science, technology, engineering, and math, and the ever-present gender disparity in, in that field in particular. Um, I think that this is something that predates COVID and that will surely follow after COVID. Um, but I was reading some interesting studies in terms of why um, girls tend to shy away from math and science later on. And this, this information dates you know, it, it ranges from the time that children are in kindergarten to the time that they are 12. There was a study that had, um, I think, third graders draw a picture of what they thought a scientist looked like, and 90% of all students drew men. And that's just such a fascinating thing to think about when you try to grapple with, well, how did they come to think of scientists as men? And then you have to look at the information and the stimulus that children are taking in to to understand the world in terms of um, science being a male-dominated field and other things like reading and literature being female-dominated, and I think there's a lot of a lot of progress that can be made in that in that disparity in particular. Um, in terms of gender equity in the face of COVID, I think that's a really fascinating conversation to pose, and and one that could be taken in a myriad of different directions. One thing I'm kind of thinking about, and I know, Nick, you would flag this for later, but I do think that it's worth mentioning kind of extracurricular effects. Like you don't get extracurricular activities if you're not in school. And there are certain extracurricular activities which really um, provoke girls and boys to act together and to work together. I'm thinking of things like student government um, or... um, other extracurriculars that aren't necessarily sports, but are more kind of, you know, a culinary club or um, something of that nature where, where you're, you're working with boys and girls together to kind of create something. And that's all non-existent under COVID when people aren't in school. Um, so I think that's another interesting, interesting thing we're missing out on and something that I'm wondering if it will also have long-term effects. Um, without any sort of mitigation in this time. Yeah, and that, so like the out-of-school time and after-school space has been hit pretty hard, and it's been an interesting thing for us to watch. And Calvin, maybe you can talk a little bit more about this just in terms of like your connection with the educators too, but the spaces in which students find themselves when a parent is you know, at work and their school is not in in-person session, oftentimes looks like a boys and girls club or a community rec center or um, a housing authorities, you know, community center. And some of those places have experienced significant drops in funding because of budget cuts at the state level or the federal level. This has been a trend in some ways. I mean, I, th- I think you've seen with 21st century programs, which is been a national federal government initiative there's been fluctuation in support um, particularly within some of the cities that we've worked in but those spaces are really really key to provide ongoing education for students and just general like safety and and welcoming environment for them when they need that and when their parents are at work or when they're not in school um i I'm constantly thinking about that as it relates to our work and how we can just make sure that we're doing everything that we can to strengthen those communities and strengthen those, those programs that we partner with. Uh, Calvin, do you have any thoughts on that and just things you've observed? 
Yeah, it's just been a it's it's a really tricky time right now. Uh, a lot a lot of a lot of the people that are in charge were not prepared for this, and uh, and it's showing. So now it's like the folks that really kind of have a grip on what's going on and trying to uh, make things better, that space needs to really grow because, um, you know, you, you do have educators that are pretty much ready to leave the, leave the field because this is not what they signed up for, uh, you know, to teach kids on a screen. You know, that, that's, a, that's a, a really big shift, and we don't really know how long it's going to last. But in the meantime, the goal is to to try to make things better. Uh, I, I hear a lot of times people talking about, will we ever go back to the normal? And I'm hearing that it's there is no more normal. We've 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 had to adjust and change. And uh, but I do think that the technology aspect, which we've all been talking about, is the I feel like that's like the cheat code to fixing a lot of things, but even after things go back to where they're going to go, um, there still needs to be a lot of change. There still needs to be a lot of laws that are adjusted, changed. Just, um, just kind of pulling it back. We, you know, we all are in a in a space now where we all can share what we really believe and what our opinions really are. And uh, and I'm glad that we're able to do that because now I feel like that's going to allow our students to feel just as confident to share those questions. Yeah. And I'll call out one thing that you said as it relates to what Delphi was talking about, too. Like the so <clears throat> Delphi, what you mentioned about uh, gender equity as it relates to the out of school time space or the after school space and the opportunity to bring students together. Um, an athletic team, for example, is a space in which, uh, you know, it's it's a gendered activity. It's all boys on a basketball team or all girls on a basketball team traditionally. Uh, these other spaces are really important to help build confidence and build communication and show girls that they, you know, have a, a place in different areas, whether it's in STEM or other content areas. Um and then, so so that kind of underscores the importance of that work, which I think is really underappreciated a lot of times. And then, Calvin, you mentioned just the advocacy piece around making sure that, um, you know, folks in community who are on the ground doing the work are represented when it comes to policy change and things like that. So I'll, I'll just acknowledge the fact that, you know, a couple organizations doing really incredible work to bridge that divide, the After School Alliance, uh, the Mott Foundation in Michigan, the Overdeck Family Foundation, which is a close partner of ours in New York City, they're all thinking about what does it look like to strengthen the informal uh, learning space as it relates to STEM education, as it relates to education broadly. And that time of the day is so important because it's, for a lot of kids, it's, you know, four, it, it can be up to four or five hours worth of additional time spent in a curated learning environment, which uh, is, you know, almost a couple hours shy of being the same length as the school day. So what are we using that time for to make sure that students have space to relax and have space to blow off steam, but also have space to develop important skills. And that certainly ties back to this conversation that we're having. 
So, Delphi, I want to get your take on one thing, which kind of we were kind of getting to this as it relates to STEM, uh, girls' involvement and young women and women involvement in STEM, and uh, and then this like extracurricular space in education. Um, you know, our work, our flagship program at least, includes this intersection between sports, particularly the game of basketball, and math and STEM education. And, you know, we've talked about this offline, but this idea that a lot of times what is seen as appropriate for girls as a context can often be super gendered and discriminatory. So in our experience, we've had a lot of folks come to us, whether they're funders or whether they're, you know, folks in community, often not teachers because they usually get it, um, but just asking the question like, this NBA thing, like, is this really for girls or is it like just boys that participate in it? And I think that there's just a lot of that, like that sentiment as it relates to sports is basically the same sentiment that has held back girls in STEM fields, right? And young women in STEM fields. It's just this limiting mindset around what is appealing or what is appropriate or what is attractive to a certain group. So do you have any thoughts on that? Like how, how do you react to that? And how can we get away from gendering different themes and concepts in education? I think that is a fantastic question. And boy, do I have thoughts on it. Um, as someone who was also a very competitive athlete for the majority of my adolescent um, and college career, I can only attest to the fact that athletics are an imperative space for teaching women leadership and teaching women um, their own power and to kind of value their own power as athletes. And I think that it's really ironic that you've received these messages of doubt regarding whether or not women should be a part of Learn Fresh and should care about the NBA because I actually think that um, through sports, Sports are a field in which women and men can be equal. I mean, we might not, you know, I, I was always a, a runner, and so we might not run the same times. I might not be as fast as a guy running the mile, but to know that I'm on the same track and to know that I have just as much right and just as much validity being in the same field, on the same basketball court, on the same, you know, 100-meter sprint, like, it's, it's creating a representation that is equal. Um, and so I can only attest to the tremendous value that sports in general have in that kind of representation of who belongs where. Um, and I think that inviting girls into the space of NBA just makes a tremendous amount of sense and is almost a kind of surpassing of something that is perceived as being gendered, you think of the NBA as being only men, but inviting girls to learn math through your program is inviting girls into a previously male-dominated space, which is what gender equity is all about, isn't it? Um, and so I think that's a really interesting question um, to grapple with, and I think it's, it's one that is so subtly gendered in the way that a passive person would view it. You think of it as being male, but you don't necessarily acknowledge that you're then recreating that it is male by saying that only boys play in the NBA. Um, and it's, 
it's something that should really be pushed back on um, because that's the only way that you can you can acknowledge that you're perpetuating gender bias um, by keeping the NVA male dominated. Yeah, and I, I think that point around can, changing mindsets so that we don't see things as they're stereotyped to be is really important. It's also worth pointing out too that the WNBA is really the first major women's professional sports league in the U S and the NBA was revolutionary in the creation and expansion of that league. Um, and that allows us, which we do across all our products to embed the faces of women who look like the girls that we're serving in communities across the country and, and to provide that direct uh, connection and those role models for them. So I think that even strengthens the point that you're making that there is a, there is the space that we can all share and everyone is equally valued, valued and valid as, as athletes and learners in that space. Absolutely. So thinking about the path forward for us, uh, what are some specific areas where you've seen recent progress as it relates to gender equity and education? And then what are some major challenge areas that we should be focused on doing work uh, on as we move forward? What are some opportunities for growth as we move ahead? Yeah. So I think there has been considerable progress in terms of women's educational achievement Um, The bar graph just keeps going up and up and up in terms of girls and women graduating um, with tremendously high marks across the board, regardless of subject area, regardless of field of study. Women are doing great in education, which is fantastic. So it seems like the missing link is between education and the workplace. And I think this has to do a lot with residual stigma in terms of what are women supposed to do in society, what is culturally acceptable. Um, A lot of countries still have laws on the books that make it incredibly hard for women to go into work and leave if they want to have a child and come back. Um, So I really see a lot of space for growth in that area, kind of on the latter end of education. And then, like we were talking about before, I think there's a lot of room for growth in representation and what children are witnessing at the very beginning of their educational journey in kindergarten and pre-k even in terms of who does what in this world and I think the more that we can diversify the images that we're sharing with younger individuals the more that they can grow up to be whatever they want to be and really fulfill their potential in whatever way they seek to do that so I think kind of you know, inundating children and really intentionally teaching girls and boys that they can be whatever they want and that they should experiment with being whatever they want, proving to them that maybe, maybe, maybe math is important or could be important at some point. Um, I think that's a really, a really important thing that needs to happen. Um, And through doing that, we change the stigmatization of genders and we change kind of these expectations that keep people from being the best versions of themselves and kind of being liberated in their choice of of life journey. I will also add one more thing, which I personally think needs to change, and that is the cost of education in the United States. Um, This is 
absolutely intolerable in my opinion. And I was having a conversation here actually with a friend of mine in terms of the German education system, which is completely different than the American education system. In Germany, you go until the fourth grade, and then after fourth grade, you're divided up into one of three levels. And the levels correspond to your grades in fourth grade. <laughs> so if you do poorly in fourth grade, you go to a more um, vocational level of learning, which is less test-heavy and more focused on apprenticeship and kind of the honing in of expertise in one given skill area. And then if you go to the highest tier of education, those are the students who eventually go on to university, go on to do medicine, do sort of intensive intensive study um, in kind of a more expert level field that involves research and um, that, that sort of what we would consider university graduate school post-grad um, is what, is what they, they decide when the child is in fourth grade, which to me is completely unfathomable. Yeah. Um, but, <laughs> but regardless, it, um, in Germany there's a conversation about paying students to continue school because in the lowest rung, you only go to school until 10th grade, and after that, you go right into the workforce. And so there's this motivation if you come from a low-income background there's a motivation to stay in the lower rung of education because you get to start earning money sooner. You get to start earning money when you're 16 or 17 years old. Whereas if you stay in education, you forfeit these years of possible income for yourself and your family. And so there's an ongoing discussion among some of the social Democrats in terms of paying students to stay in school so that you're paid an income to go to school. And if you think about that, in terms of the value system that that creates for a society, you're, gen you're genuinely giving money for people to go to school because you care so much about having an educated workforce. And in the United States, we are witnessing the exact opposite of this, which is forcing people to pay hundreds of thousands of dollars to be educated, to be quote-unquote educated, um, which has the effect of then forcing people out of education and kind of teaching them and giving them this value of education is a waste of money and a waste of time. And, you know, how could I possibly think to fund that for myself? Um, and so I think it's really important, you know, they, there's the whole phrase, your money is where your mouth is, but us putting no money behind education in the United States is creating a value system that doesn't prioritize the importance of education. Um, and I think it's worth, worth noting that there are other systems out there that put tremendous weight behind the education of their, of their populace. Yeah, that's so interesting. So a couple of things that I'll just tease out of that before we wrap up. One, I, this is maybe more on like the pro-American side of the education system, but like the tracking of students is super interesting. I can definitely see the validity of providing tracks that allow students to work in, into more vocational careers. I think it's also interesting that that sorting process happens so early and that I immediately think of someone like Gary Vaynerchuk, Gary V, who's this entrepreneur here in the United States worth millions of dollars, started multiple companies and talks about how he was basically like disillusioned with education from the fourth grade on. So like that story is probably less possible in that system. So, you know, maybe we can find a better balance between here between 
the system that we have in place right now and this opportunity to provide more like hands-on skills to folks who want to pursue vocational careers. I think that's definitely a priority. But the point around the debt load in education and, and putting your money where your mouth is as it relates to policy, I think is super important. You think about the way that that applies back to this issue of equity. I believe right now there actually there's a greater percentage of young women studying in college than young men. Um, if you extrapolate that out, you're providing those young women with a larger debt burden that they're going to have to have to start their career. If you stack on top of that some of the issues that we have around parental leave and, and compensation and, and, and all sorts of other inequities in the, in the workforce, um, you've created kind of an, an economically disadvantaged system for a whole half of your population. So that certainly resonates. And I also really appreciate how you've broken it down into what can we do in the beginning to inspire and then what can we do throughout the process and then at the end of the process as you get into your career to really make sure that women and, and, and our girls are supported across the entire continuum. Well, Delphi, thank you so much for spending time with us. It's been a pleasure to hear your perspective on this issue in education, and we're excited to uh, keep you posted as we move our work ahead, you know, share stories with you, and, and continue to collaborate as we can with you and your community um, as it relates to gender equity in education. Please do. Please keep me posted on all the incredible work you're doing. I am so grateful for what you do and inspired. Thanks for chatting with me today. Learn Fresh podcast is produced by our very own Nick Monzi and Sumner Becker with additional production assistance from Caitlin Woodward. Sumner Becker also does our engineering, editing, and music. The Learn Fresh podcast is part of the Side Audio Network, an audio community founded by Jeremiah Ote and Naranjan Kumar. Shout out to Jeremiah of the Learn Fresh family. <laughs> the Side Audio Network hosts podcasts that aim to transfer trust between people and communities through storytelling and conversation. 